I'm very excited to share this recording with you guys, which happened at our conference, sasopen.com, with over 100 speakers, all founders of B2B SaaS companies. We have a very high bar for what speakers share on stage, so you're going to enjoy this episode where we dive deep into revenue graphs, real tactics, and real growth metrics. You are listening to Conversations with Nathan Latka, where I sit down and interview the top SaaS founders, like Eric Wan from Zoom. If you'd like to subscribe, go to gitlatka.com. We've published thousands of these interviews, and if you want to sort through them quickly by revenue or churn, CAC, valuation, or other metrics, the easiest way to do that is to go to gitlatka.com and use our filtering tool. It's like a big Excel sheet for all of these podcast interviews. Check it out right now at gitlatka.com. My name is Charlie, and I'm the CTO of FounderPath. Um... Hopefully you guys have heard of FounderPath. They're sort of putting on this conference here. Um, I sat through the other talks here today and realized that my talk is a lot more technical than most of them. So, like, quick show of hands. How many of you are coders or CTOs or... Okay, so most of you. I'm going to try to keep it, like, pretty high level and not, not get down in the weeds. So hopefully it'll be interesting, even if you're not technical. Um, so I'm basically going to take you on FounderPath's journey. We're three years old now, and we started as like a single engineer, single server, um, very few customers. You know, and I'm going to take you from that and all the problems that we had as we as we grew very quickly over the last two years. Um, so essentially the the three steps that we've gone through to to scale up to meet our demand is number one is identify our bottlenecks so we'll talk about the three core vitals of computers and then talk about perf testing application code and making sure that you have all of your indices in SQL Um, and then we'll talk about our first attempt to sort of solve our scaling problems which was to scale vertically and kind of what went wrong there, and then eventually to scale horizontally and the pros and cons of that. So first, some background so that you understand what problems we're solving is kind of how FounderPath works, right? So uh, we lend money to SaaS businesses, and we do that. We have mostly automated that process. So if you look at that top screenshot there, you can see, like, Uh, a business comes and they link whatever they use for billing and then they link their bank account. Uh, We also support HR, accounting, and and other things. But the big scaling problem we have is like, you sign up and you link your Stripe account and there's really nothing you can do until we have ingested all of your data, right? Because once we ingest all of your data, we kind of score the health of your business and then we tell you, you know, we're willing to offer you this amount of money at these terms. Um, So, Onboarding is challenging for us, right? Because you come, you link an account, and then it's kind of like, okay, no, come back later. Like, come back in an hour. Some of these companies are like, you know, 10 years old or more, so we're talking about pulling millions and millions of rows before they can do a single thing. So that's the problem we're trying to solve. Um, This is how it started, 2021. One server, one database. One engineer for half that year, two for the second half. We had like 1,500 users, 1 million ARR, and we had absolutely no problems, right? Like, 
we just had one cloud server and one database and everything worked great. Uh, we were missing a bunch of database indices. It didn't matter. The tables were tiny. Everything was great. Um, so simpler times. And we, we started this way intentionally, right? Like, you know, we could, have, we could have spent months and months, like, developing a big Kubernetes application, and we wouldn't have had the problems that we had. But we also wouldn't have gotten to market anywhere near as fast. We might have missed our window. Like, you know, this business really took off because of the economic conditions. And had we launched a year later, we might have been screwed. So premature optimization is the root of all evil, right? Like... Uh, my my big advice is like solve problems that you actually have, not problems that like you think you might have later, because usually the solution that you come up with before you have the problem doesn't end up being the right one anyway, right? So this is what happened after you know 2021. Um, mind you, we're not a SaaS company; we're a lender, so revenue is not profit. But either way, usage took off big time, and we ran into all kinds of problems. Uh, so we started in 2022, we kind of had exponential growth, which is, you know, CEO's dream, CTO's nightmare, right? Like our fire, fires room in Slack started just blowing up like around the clock with all kinds of, all kinds of strange issues. Like it wasn't like we shipped a bug in our application code, right? It was like host unreachable, like just like a lot of bugs that weren't in code that we wrote basically, um, so, quick question is like, how do you know you're having scaling problems? Well, like, the errors you're getting are not in code you wrote, right? We all use tons of open source code. Um, and you're getting all these errors that are not bugs that you made. They're networking errors, they're coming from the operating system, they're database internals, things like that. Uh, if you're familiar with the law of leaky abstractions, basically your abstractions are leaking, right? You don't really understand why things are breaking. Um, Another telltale sign is like everything works, but it's just slow as hell. So the first thing you do, and the first thing that we did, and this got us by for like a year, is like, okay, you're probably out of disk space, right? So you run a simple command, and you see like, is your disk full? Usually when it is, it's because you're not rotating log files properly, right? That happens all the time. Um, or you're out of memory, right? So you run free minus M, and you see like, oh, we have no memory, so like you add a swap file quickly. Um, and you can run top to see, like, are you maxed out on CPU? So this is the first thing you should always do, right? Because usually that's the problem. Uh, another one, when things are getting slow, is, like, you're missing database indices. So the thing about database indices is you don't really need them when you have 100 users because scanning a table of 100 rows is really fast, right? Even scanning a table of 1,000 rows is super fast. So you don't find out you're missing indices until you start to get big data. So like scanning a 7 million row table is incredibly slow. So an exercise that we do every single month is like we come in here and we start looking at our queries and how long they're taking. And usually when you're missing an indice, it will like really stick out at you, right? It'll take like 100 times longer than you thought it should. And you go in and you add the indice and all of a sudden it's super fast again. I recommend doing this early and often because it gets harder and harder to add missing indices the bigger tables get. As you start getting into the, the tens of millions, adding, you, know, you basically have to be able to load the table into memory to add the indice quickly, and 
if your table is big enough where you can't load it into memory, then you're going to have to, it's going to take hours to build, and you're going to, the table's going to lock, it's going to be slow, it's, it's a nightmare. Postgres. So, okay, you've done all those things, and we got by for the first year just doing that, right? Add indices, make sure we weren't out of memory, out of disk. Um, but we were still having major problems, so now we know like it's time to scale up. So we started with vertical scaling, right? And the pros of vertical scaling is the biggest one to me is like it doesn't add any complexity. It's the same stack. Your developers work on it the same way on their local machine, right? They don't have to change their workflow. Your deployment process doesn't change. You don't add any complexity, not to mention like it's trivial to do, and usually you can do it with zero downtime. So you just go and you pick a bigger machine and everything is great. Um, the cons, though, is it's actually like not very efficient, which you'll see shortly. Uh, you can end up spending a lot more money for a large machine than you really need to be. Uh, there's, no single, there's a single point of failure, so you don't really have any redundancy, right? If your machine goes down, your site's down. Um, Another thing is, like, once you start getting into the larger machines, you find, like, we only need more CPU, but we have to pay for, like, 100 gigabytes more of RAM just to upgrade the machine. So, anyway, 2022 comes along, and we, we're vertically scaled, right? Uh, we added a second server, but we didn't necessarily have to, um, but we upsized both of our servers and our database big time, um, we have three engineers at this point, we have about 5,000 users, and we have about 19 million in ARR. Um, and most importantly, we have tons of problems, right? Things are always breaking. Uh, so this was a good sort of stopgap, but it didn't solve our problem. The problem with vertical scaling is, one, we are a B2B business that is geographically located where you know we only really do capital deals with... North America and parts of Europe. So most of our customers are in the United States, and that means that our traffic is heavily concentrated around this time. I don't know why it's Monday and Tuesday and not later in the week, but, you know, whatever. CFOs, if, they, if they're looking for debt, then, like, Monday, Tuesday, 10, 11 a.m. is the time they do it, right? So what would happen is we would get, like, 100 sign-ups between 10 and 11 a.m., Mind you, all of these people, you know, have to wait for their whole Stripe account or bank account to import before they can do anything. And there's 100 of them at the same time waiting on it. So we, we scaled up vertically to have a big enough machine to handle that load. But, you know, the rest of the day, it's just a huge waste of money, right? It's just sitting idly. So this is like, this is some basic napkin math here, but... So if for two hours we're using 100% of our CPU, that's two CPU hours. If for the other 22 in the day we're only using 10%, that's only 2.2. So we're using 4.2, we're paying for 24, we're overpaying big time. So that was our problem with vertical scaling. So our proposed solution was, of course, to horizontally scale. And you can see my little animations here. Our servers are coming in and servers are coming out. So 2023, by this time we have three databases, because uh, as you'll see shortly, we, we've also split into microservices. Um, seven engineers, about 20,000 users, something like 75 million in ARR, and 
we have less problems. I won't say we don't have problems because my team is going to watch this. We, <laughs> we have a lot less problems now, though. So horizontal scaling, pros obviously handles demand spikes, right? It, it wouldn't really matter if we had a thousand customers sign up in that same hour because now those customers, as soon as they sign up, they link their account, they're getting dedicated hardware to import their Stripe account, right? So everyone that signs up is immediately getting dedicated hardware. So it's going to take however long it takes and they're not going to be waiting in line for their jobs to start, and they're not going to be slower because the machine is also, you know, the CPU's maxed out importing other people's accounts. So, so everyone gets spun up dedicated hardware when they link their account. We import their Stripe account, and they don't wait forever for onboarding. Uh, you only pay for what you use. You don't have the problems that I mentioned earlier with vertical scaling. So those are the pros. But I will say there are definitely cons. So the, the developer experience got way more complicated, right? So like, you know, we have just like a, a TypeScript engineer who does front end, and suddenly just to set up his development environment, uh, you know, he's got to understand how Kubernetes works, or, you know, he's got to like, if he wants to run one service in production and the other service in development, or one in staging, the other in development, like he spends hours just getting set up just so he can do the thing that we want to pay him to do, which is write some TypeScript, right? So complexity ramps up. You basically need an ops guy. Um, deployments get slower because you're deploying to many different machines and you need to do rolling updates and things like that. And now, all of a sudden, our checks for like the vitals of the machine are spread across many, many different machines, right? So you, you need some kind of monitoring service. So we also split out to microservices, right? Because we basically have three very distinct things, right? We have like our main application where users sign up, and then we also have like our data importers that just import raw data, and then we also have a machine that crunches all of our numbers and sort of uh, spits out SaaS metrics that we use to make lending decisions. Um, so pros of that is like they can be scaled independently. Like our importers need to horizontal scale. We don't have a ton of traffic, so like our, our main user database does not. Like, you know, 20,000 users, no problem. So you, uh, developers can sort of work on them independently, and they're not like bogged down by the complexity of all the other pieces. Um, and you can use different languages. So our our thing that calculates SAS metrics is Python because it's data science. We hire data scientists and they work in Python. Our other stuff is in TypeScript, et cetera. However, cons are like coordinating the communication between all these services can be a real pain. Um, you've got to start looking into like gRPC and things like that, which is a big beast. Uh, Running things locally is difficult. So if you look at that screenshot, you can see we had to build like a CLI just for our local development for people to choose what it is that they want to work on and which environment they want to run it in. So when we start developing, we fire up a CLI and we're like, I want to, I want to run this locally and this locally. And then we say, I want to run these other things in staging or I want to run the database in staging. I want to run this database in production because it's read-only, things like that. So onboarding is more difficult. So yeah, with great power comes great responsibility, but also great complexity. So as the number of microservices goes up, the complexity for the developers that work on them goes up, I would say, exponentially, probably. <laughs> it's kind of a joke, but it, that's, that has sort of been our experience with it. So just to recap, we started like this, right? One server, 
one database. We vertically scaled them up to be huge beast of machines. It got very expensive, and we finally landed on horizontal scaling. Uh, it solved a lot of our problems, but not all of our problems. So key takeaways, scale when you need to, right? Don't solve problems that you don't have. You're probably not going to solve them correctly anyway until you've experienced them. Uh, identify bottlenecks specific to your application. Our problem, we're not Facebook. Our problem isn't traffic. It's just importing data to onboard people. Scale vertically for as long as you can because it's way simpler. And score, scale horizontally when you absolutely need to. And most of all, just monitor, measure, tweak, and repeat and you eventually will land on the right solution. So yeah, over the last 15 minutes, uh, I showed you how to identify bottlenecks, quick, quick things to check to make sure that you're not having scaling problems, and if you are having scaling problems, that you should scale vertically first, uh, split things into microservices later, and, and scale horizontally after that. And the last thing I'm going to do is shout out to my team because I couldn't have done any of this without them. Uh, three of those guys are actually contractors, so we have four full-time engineers, and we ingest about 20 million new rows of data per day. And every single day, we have to rerun all the calculations on all of the data, so it's like... It's at like 200 million rows now. Tomorrow it will be more and more and more, and the whole thing just snowballs. So I'm really proud that our small team has, has been able to do that. And if you're into this stuff and you want to join us, please email me, charlie at founderpath.com. So he, the question is, how far did each solution take us? Um, I broke this, this down into year by year. It, it wasn't actually that clean. I think like uh, one server, one database actually lasted the full first year and probably more, but problems started arising about after a year. Um, but we were able to patch them, like I said, like just duct tape, like swap files and you know, uh, just lots of duct tape. And then maybe about a year and a half in, we started like pushing the limits of like vertically scaling, like paying for machines that were many thousands of dollars per month. And, um, and, but every time we would, you know, we'd have like, like Nathan would be on TV or like he would get like a TechCrunch article and all of a sudden we would have like 80 times the demand for one hour that we, that we had before, you know, or these conferences. And like things were always going horribly wrong then, even throughout that. So it was like probably two probably two years in where we were like, okay, we, have, like, we need like a serious solution here. And that was basically like microservices, Kubernetes, like everything's got to scale up to meet demand and then scale back down so we don't go bankrupt paying for servers. Cool. So that's it. Uh, any other questions? Uh, so we use Postgres. Um, we actually we also have a MySQL database in there, um, like for for reasons unknown. Because the engineer that set up that microservice wanted to use MySQL, uh, but we predominantly use Postgres. Yeah. Do you use time databases? No, we don't use time series databases. Although we did look into them, and I'm I'm super intrigued by TimescaleDB. Um, I think like. 
We still might, I'll say that. But at this point, like we have a solution that's working and everyone really understands, everyone on the team understands Postgres, right? So, so we need the buy-in to sort of learn a new thing if, if we're going to go that route. But uh, I am strongly considering TimescaleDB, DB. Actually, it's just a Postgres extension, so it's not like a big leap. Are, is that a vote of confidence for for Time Series? Well, I've used it my, on a project that I've worked with, and it worked for us. So cool. Um, it's good to hear. Yeah. All right. Thank you, everyone. <laughs>